Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo and welcome to video number 90 and audio season four, episode 32 of Music Is Not A Genre. Thank you as always for tuning in, listening or watching. You can always support this podcast at patreon.com slash music is not a genre or anchor.fm slash music is not a genre. My public hub is still at youtube.com slash Nick DiMatteo where you get this podcast and many, many more things. Uh, Not quite as much as you get on Patreon, but you get a lot. And my new podcast home for Music Is Not A Genre, the home page is nickdematio.com slash podcast. Uh, Let's get right to this week's topic. Heavy flute and crime jazz. Cool is where you find it. Yeah, so uh, I... Uh, this is I'm that I'm not the happiest about this uh, title. Sometimes I can come up with some you know clever wordplay and things like that and really kind of nail it, but this one is sort of yeah it's fine it's okay cool is where you find it, and that's sort of appropriate for the topic that we're talking about this week, which to me is this: what is jazz? I'm pausing to have you answer that for yourself. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of jazz? Is it, uh, you know, uh, jazz vocalists, uh, pop vo- pop jazz vocalists, let's say, like Sinatra or or uh, Diana Krall? Is it uh, bop or hard bop? Or is it like Louis Armstrong, Django Reinhardt? Is it fusion? Is it some other uh, smooth jazz, let's say? There are so many answers to that. And that's because jazz is as fluid a genre as any other genre, which is, you know, why we talk about what we talk about here. And I'm not going to answer that in this podcast because this isn't a general uh, jazz podcast. This is sort of the entry into why I'm talking about these particular albums together. Uh, These three albums that if you're watching, you see before you. uh, The first one is Heavy Flute, Funky Flute Grooves from the 60s and 70s. Uh, And the next two are crime jazz music in the first degree and crime jazz music in the second degree. And we'll get back to all that in a second. I think the quick answer for me is that, and this is, I, you know, very reductive. Jazz has to have two things for me to consider it jazz. It has to be, uh, have some form of improv. You know, there's, there's something improvisational about it, whether that is just a solo in a vocal song or the vocal itself or if the entire thing is sort of the theme and variation idea that a lot of traditional jazz is, or if the entire thing is just improv, you know, based on some kind of a chord progression, or maybe there isn't even a chord progression, it's very abstract, and it has to have some kind of funkiness to it. 
Uh, I'm not as married to any specific instrumentation for jazz as any other. I think you can do, you can make jazz out of a Casio keyboard if you want to, or a kazoo. And I know people have, uh, it's really uh, how, how that, and, and my definition of this, you know, you may disagree. Somebody else might say, well, no, I mean, you know, jazz is a feel, it's a style. You don't need to have that improv or there's plenty of jazz that isn't funky in any way or swingy in any way. And for you, that may be true. And for me, it, it's, it's partly my definition of jazz and it's partly just what I happen to prefer as far as, as far as what jazz is. And, and my range of what I like jazz wise is pretty wide. You know, it does include many of what I mentioned, certain jazz vocalists, uh, the, you know, early, early jazz from New Orleans and Louis Armstrong and even before then, um, fusion, you know, traditional jazz from, let's say the, the fifties and sixties, when it was actually fairly popular, uh, Thelonious Monk and people like that, and even abstract jazz and, and on beyond, uh, you know, John Pizzarelli and things like that. A lot of it is relatively traditional, but some of it is experimental. And I like that too. Now, the reason why I did title this Cool is Where You Find It is because these albums, I would venture to say, are not the first things that anyone would think of when they think of jazz. I may be wrong because I, 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 anyone is a strong statement. There are people who will think of these when they first, when they first hear the word jazz. Awesome. I would say the majority of people would not think of these. And perfect example, again, this album here, Heavy Flute, uh, I had to write the, down the subtitle, Funky Flute Grooves from the 60s and 70s, um, was profiled in an article that I have a link to there in Pop Matters, which I believe might still be around, but this article was from 2000, which was the year that this CD was released. And it's a great article. Uh, I will say I didn't really use any content from it, but I, but just in case some of it trickled and seeped through into my subconscious here, I wanted to credit it. And also because it's just a good article, uh, very positive about the CD and kind of talks about where it comes from and what it does and all of that stuff. And then um, the Crime Jazz, this, this double kind of release here, is from 1997, Music in the First Degree, Music in the Second Degree. And there's a great article by uh, Zenny Jardin or Jardin, I'm not sure how uh, they pronounce their name, uh, from the website boingboing.net. I know nothing about the person or the website. I just did a search. This article was published in 2014, which is kind of cool because that's almost 20 years after these were released. And I believe a friend turned this person on to the albums and uh, they gave a pretty, you know, decent, comprehensive review of what they what is included on them. And they're not anywhere else much. I will say that I, I do pretty thorough searches when I do research for this stuff and they're not on Wikipedia. Uh, they are on Discogs, but there's not a whole lot of information there. You'll see them pop up on eBay, Amazon, place where people are selling CDs primarily. But I'll tell you one place they're not is streaming. You can, I've discovered, uh, to the best of my knowledge, find every single song on all three of these CDs on streaming services somewhere. But as collections, these do not exist on 
Apple or Spotify or, you know, Amazon Music or any of those, uh, you would have to put them together yourself. And I hope you do. You know, in fact, I'll, I'll, you know, say of all of these, with the particular favor for me being heavy flute, any of these songs are worthy of a listen and will give you almost the same idea that you would have gotten from listening to any of the other songs. What meaning that they evoke a mood. And let's get right into the detail of this first one here, Heavy Flute. So it is uh, a compilation of tunes from the 1960s and 70s, as it said in the subtitle, featuring flute, featuring jazz flute, and featuring prominent flute solos, uh, prominent um, artists who flute may have been their main instrument or may have been one of many wind instruments, brass instruments that they played. Uh, I can't remember how I found this. As with many things, chances are it was an article because I find a lot of my music to this day, I find so much good music from reading. I find quite a bit from, you know, listening or maybe someone recommends something, which is a little rarer. But reading is really where it's at. I read a lot of publications and I read, you know, on and offline. And I will take, I guess, suggestions from the reviews that are written, uh, whether it's in Entertainment Weekly, which sadly just folded as a, as a print uh, magazine. It's still going to be online, but wow, that was a shocker. I didn't uh, see that or in advance, and I do subscribe to it. Or, you know, Rolling Stone, I, I think I said, or, you know, Spin or any, or any of the other online publications, Heavy Flute was probably in one of those. Let's just say that. And you can see there was a bit of a retro thing going on there. If you, if you know the Beastie Boys al- um, album, let's say, yeah, Ill Communication, there's a song on there called Sure Shot. And it has uh, a sample or a recreated sample. I can't remember which because they did actually do a lot of recreations and fake samples. Uh, they loved doing that with a very prominent flute riff that goes throughout the song. It's the song starts with it and the vocal. Uh, and that may be, you know, I was into jazz and into that kind of thing anyway. And there was a lot of Neo soul going on at the time. So you could see why 2000, somebody releasing a compilation of heavy flute, you know, what I, and, and really right there, the name kind of says it all, because if you just say flute, you probably think of classical music, you think of light, lilting music. You think of someone in probably a school orchestra learning to play the flute. What's funny is, and I should have brought it out, I have a flute. Uh, it was uh, an old relative's, I don't know, and, and they didn't want it anymore, and I took it. And every now and then I'll play it. I'm not great at it, but I did actually play it on a recording for a film score that I did many years ago, very just very briefly. And I believe quite a bit distorted, just, you know, kind of had fun with it. But that's what most people think of when they think of flute is, is that feel. So putting heavy with it, ah, there you go. Okay, that kind of nails it down a little bit better. How can you say heavy flute? Listen to the music. Listen to Herbie Mann. Listen to my favorite from the album, Rasan Roland Kirk. 
and you will understand why heavy. And, and yes, the songs range, you know, and the, and the style of playing ranges from lyrical to percussive and everything in between, sure. But I remember back in uh, college, I saw a live performance uh, because I was in the music program uh, of jazz violin. And it's been all over the place, you know, since the time I went to college. And I'm sure it existed quite a bit before then, too. But it was starting to come into prominence around then and really took off in the, the decade after. You'll, you will have heard more jazz violin since then. But that's another one of those instruments where you're like, well, you know, saxophone, piano, you know, uh, the bass and drums and, you know, it's upright bass and drums and things that you would normally associate, organ you know, even even vibraphones, which um, um, I'm saying for a specific reason you'll find out later, would be jazz, you know, type instruments, any brass and, and woodwind and things like that. But you don't think a violin is a, is a jazz instrument. And again, any instrument can be jazz. I was blown away. I, it really expanded my mind. It was the first time I'd ever heard anything like that. And with this jazz flute, no, it wasn't the first time I had heard uh, flute used in a jazz setting. But it was the first time I had heard it this comprehensively and with this much expression, range, just a range of expression. Um, You know, this is an album that proves that the flute can be funky and cool. Whatever your definitions of those are, it can be jazzy, you know. And uh, you could name check other, I think on one hand, the, you know, famous flute players, flautists perhaps, who are not uh, classical, let's say, because I don't know that world that well, and I'm sure there are very famous flautists in the classical world. But as far as non-classical famous flute players, you have uh, Ian Anderson, Jethro Tull, right? Lizzo. And uh, I don't know what her latest release is, but I guarantee you whatever she comes out with next is going to have some flute on that too. And also... One of my favorites, Walt Parasader of Chicago. And when I said before that on this album, you know, my favorites, Herbie Mann and, and Rasan Roland Kirk probably is at the top. It's because when you listen to, in fact, I would say start at the beginning of this CD. Look it up. Look up the track listing. Find the song somewhere online, wherever it is. And just do the first song. But then skip to... Uh, Rassam Roland Kirk, and I believe it was Ain't No Sunshine, because that's the shorter one. That's a good one to start with. You're going to hear, you would not expect the flute to be played in this way, especially uh, not as a gimmick or novelty, but as a legit jazz, like this is what I'm doing with this instrument. The man who played more than flute, who if you look up a picture of him, the, he died in the 70s, but he had a, a prolific career, you know, the couple of decades before that. He had often been seen as playing not just more than one wind instrument in a given concert, but more than one wind instrument at the same time. So he might have one hand playing a sax, uh, one hand playing clarinet, whatever. I'm, I'm kind of making that up, but I saw a picture where he had several strapped to him. And that kind of explains that kind of out there approach, you know, in fact, the way he plays flute, he played flute was very, very punk to my mind, just kind of letting it fly, 
which you can find in a lot of jazz, but not in all jazz. There are certain traditionalists who uh, believe that that goes beyond what jazz actually is. And I disagree. Um, but, you know, a lot of people disagree with my definitions of jazz as well. But this one song, uh, Ain't No Sunshine, that uh, Rasan Roland Kirk interpreted, has him playing the flute like a normal flute, has him playing it in a very windy way you, where you hear his breath, where you not only hear his breath, but you hear him talking while he's playing. So you'll, it's, it's as though he's forming the words through the flute and makes it work just incredibly well. He uses it as a percussion instrument, even. I mean, it's very punk, it's very hip-hop, and it's very jazz, you know, in its way. And it is unique on this collection as well. The others uh, do amazing things with the flute, and, in, and some of it you'll hear, and quite a bit of it you'll hear, you'll say, oh, yeah, that gives me that vibe of kind of like the 60s and 70s. It's stuff that you might have heard as background music on TV shows or in movies and things like that. It is a very distinctive uh, mood and style uh, of, of that era, of that, you know, I don't know, 10, 15-year era, let's say, from the early mid-60s to maybe the mid, mid to late 70s. Um, maybe closer to 20 years. I don't know. And of course, it stretched in through the 80s too. And we'll talk a little bit more about that with the crime jazz. Uh, but that's the feel that it gives. And Rasan Roland Kirk takes that feel and just deconstructs it, deconstructs it and blows it out of the water. Not that he is head over heels better than anybody else on there. They're all equally amazing. But that's somebody who you're like, okay, he's doing something very different with this instrument and I need to pay more attention. And you will have heard some of that kind of, you know, while playing with Ian Anderson, you know, with, with Lizzo. And I know the, the guy I know the most, Walt Parazader of Chicago, there were a couple solos on there where he deliberately either talked or grunted or kind of made breathy noises while he was in the middle of a flute solo. And that's somebody who played, I want to say it was saxophone as well. Yeah, the saxophone. So he played more than that, as most, you know, wind uh, players do, wind and brass players do. And you can hear, I don't know, was he influenced? Or was that just something in the zeitgeist at the time? Because I believe both of those, you know, Ain't No Sunshine and, and you know, what Walt did happened in the 70s. So that could be. But what I'm basically what I'm saying is, uh, and yeah, I use the word beatbox here, I, that, that Rasan Roland Kirk was basically beatboxing through a flute, is that you will listen to this album and say, oh, wow, yes, that's jazz too. And it goes, it will probably go beyond what, what you will have thought before. Which leads me to the second uh, set here, Crime Jazz, released in two parts, but in the same year, in 1997, as I said, music in the first degree, music in the second degree. I remember that Zenny Jardin Jardin mentioned that the first one was a little more worthy because it had more memorable songs, or so, you know, songs that you might, uh, you know, uh, like the theme to Peter, theme Peter Gunn, which if you don't know that show, and I'm not sure I ever saw an episode of that show. It's the song that goes dun 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 You know, and I can go on and on. That was fairly prominent in my childhood, even though, again, I never saw the show, or I might have seen a clip. 
But it was also featured in the arcade game and subsequently um, the home game, Spy Hunter, where you're driving a car at night. And I had forgotten the name of it. I looked it up. There it is. But that's the theme to that uh, video game. And so, yes, that's on the first album. And some, and uh, I think um, 77 Sunset Strip and some others. You may not know these references. I barely know them myself. It's because this music, I believe this, these albums took music from the 50s and 60s, uh, prominently from the 50s, I believe. But uh, yes, uh, the 60s too, 77 Sunset Strip. And um, you could think of a song like the theme to Mission Impossible is another. Now, that's not on either of these albums. Maybe they couldn't get the rights. It might have been an oversight of some sort that is extremely jazz when you listen to it. It's in 5-4 time, and there's other reasons. And it's also written by Lalo Schifrin, who, um, you know, is one of my favorite composers for film and television. Uh, and pr- probably because of the Mission Impossible theme, but just I like his style. You know, he's just one of those dudes. Elmer Bernstein is on here, or is it Bernstein? I, I don't know. Not related to Leonard Bernstein. Uh, and he's another one of my favorites. And he did things that were jazz, but also not jazz, more kind of lyrical uh, movie music. And I'll get in a little bit into more into movie music here. And then Henry Mancini, who's somebody relatively famous. He played for the Oscars for decades, and he did, you know, um, I think Moon River. I uh, He did the theme to um, Peter Gunn, which on this compilation, I think for the for the show, was performed by Quincy Jones and his orchestra. Uh, and a lot of people who know Quincy Jones think of him as a producer, but he was, you know, came from a jazz background and had his own thing going before he became famous as a producer. There's there's a lot of great music on here, and what and what it is is again, it's from it's jazz created for crime films and television shows from again I believe the fifties and sixties, uh, and it's one of those where if you've ever seen a movie like this, whether it's from the original era of that period. Uh, which I think really kind of began in the 40s, uh, even though I'm not sure I I saw any samples here on these two albums, uh, and continued through the 70s at least, and certainly it trickled into the 80s, or in its sort of echo iteration as parodied in parodies such as, you know, uh, Police Squad and Naked Gun films and anything where it's a comedy that's supposed to be a crime or a noir kind of feel or you know a throwback to those older kind of films they're kind of lovingly parodying this kind of music lots of horns lots of you know you know horn buildups that stop very abruptly and uh strings and uh, that that are kind of ominous but also a little lyrical and they they're all there to evoke a mood and the minute you hear any of these songs, you'll understand what I mean. I think it's almost impossible not to think of a crime story when you hear any one of these, which is what is amazing about them. And I'd I'd love to know more about the history of why this music in particular became synonymous with, you know, crime in the same way that, uh, you know, the, the music of certain Westerns was picked up from, uh, 
you know, uh, Copeland, the, you know, the famous composer Copeland, Aaron Copeland. Uh, a lot of people took that Americana kind of big orchestral Americana thing and applied it to film and television Westerns. Uh, you just, there's a certain mood and, and even visual that these evoke that becomes synonymous with that genre of film or television show. And this is where I come in on this. And I think it's, it's, this will lead not only to kind of wrapping up what I'm talking about here, but also to, you know, segueing into talking about one of my songs. And that is that I have always had mixed feelings about scores, about soundtrack music. There is soundtrack music, whether it's, you know, John Williams or Elmer Bernstein or any of the people that I've mentioned, who I've mentioned, you can't help but love and, and become so memorable. Even Danny Elfman and Trent Reznor and people who are, you know, winning awards have done amazing things. You think of the instrumental theme to The Simpsons, Danny Elfman. If you've ever seen it, even a few times, you'll never get it out of your head. And yes, there's a difference between theme and incidental. You know, a theme song is meant to grab your attention and put you in the place of where you're supposed to be for whatever program you're watching. That's, that's fine. But when it comes to scoring the rest of the film, and I've scored films, I find that less is more. And even though to some degree all movie music is manipulative, even when it drops out and there is no music, you know, that's intentional there. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's a way to do it such that you're evoking a mood and complementing what's happening and kind of uh, connecting you with the dialogue and the visuals and all of that, that is subtle but present it can very easily and very quickly turn into a kind of treacly, cloying, hit-you-over-the-head manipulation to the point where it's cliché. So when you think of horror movie music, horror movie music has had to morph many, 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 many times. I remember back uh, over five, maybe ten years ago when horror films started to use the same sounds and feels that you used to get from horror films in the late 70s and early 80s. In between that period, that music dropped out because it became so cliche and and it wouldn't evoke horror anymore. It would evoke more kind of laughter or things. You probably heard it in, you know, by the end of that era, that kind of middle period, the screen movies were coming out. And so that was a perfect way to kind of lovingly lampoon that horror movie music and then you know slowly started the shift it became very subtle very almost not there kind of thing and then it and now it you know again it's shifted again it's had to uh and i think in any film television genre the music has had to shift both with the times but also just because when you do too much of the same thing people know what to expect it doesn't have the same impact and what I find, and one of the reasons why, the, in particular, this kind of crime jazz has been parodied and lampooned so much, is that it has been extremely heavy-handed in its past. And let me say, I'm not necessarily talking about anything on these albums. In fact, it's kind of exciting, and this is the kind of cool is where you find it idea, that you you can have music intended 
for popular media. Films, very probably a lot of B-level films even, television shows that were not maybe the most critically acclaimed even, and have music of such high quality, and have jazz music of such high quality. Since the dawn of uh, film and television as well, and even radio, there have been pockets of music in every year that has reached beyond what the average film or television score theme song might do. And I think at some point I'm probably going to do an episode just on television theme songs because there's so many that many of us remember and I grew up with that and there's still so many, you know, that I enjoy. Uh, But in this case, I think you'll find high quality associated with shows like uh, Peter Gunn and 77 Sunset Strip, ones that most of us have forgotten or have never seen. So you're not talking about the famous and, and critically acclaimed shows from those eras, but the music is worth it beyond a doubt. And I think as worth it as any other kind of jazz. And, and that's kind of my, you know, Uh, button on there. And there are three amazing things that come to mind here. And I may have said them, but I wanted to kind of summarize. And that is, yes, number one, when you hear this music, you immediately think of a crime story. Number two, yes, TV and film have uh, music has been intermittently cool and forward thinking. There's always a way to reach farther. And number number three, it's awesome music. And just like heavy flute illustrates that, you know, cool is where you find it. Cool and funky and jazzy. Uh, you don't need to just think of the greats, the people that everyone knows, the, the the bands everyone knows. You can get it from the most unlikely places or the places you that aren't necessarily unlikely, but you wouldn't think of them. Which leads to one of my favorite parts of every episode, and that is talking about a song of mine. And this wasn't easy because even though I have played jazz, uh, piano and bass, and I've sung jazz quite a bit, I have written very few jazz songs and recorded not even all of those, you know, and I, I think that that's something I'd like to explore more in the future. It's never been my, my, you know, main focus, but it's something I've always had a love and reverence for. And I think part of the reason why I haven't done more of it myself is because I have such high standards of what I consider jazz to be. I've played in jazz ensembles live and have actually said, no, I don't want to solo because in my mind, a solo had to be as good as the greats, you know, uh, on piano. This is in particular when that's not necessarily so. You play what you feel in the moment. And so what I'm going to offer here as an example is not a jazz song. There is a jazz element to it, which is that it, there's the vibraphones in there, which was an amazing choice by the producer Mike Klein, um, who produced that, this entire album, the Metro Grand Sessions on the song come a little closer he he played the vibes and i think he felt like it was something that the song needed and what you'll hear when you listen to this song which is again at the end of this podcast as always but also streaming everywhere so please look for it please look for it on recarea.bandcamp.com which is what the link is that i included here and anywhere else that you get music you will hear a mood you will hear It is a haunting song. It is a song that is about someone who's trying to figure out how to better connect 
with people and in particular better connect with a, a, a partner and is having troubles with anxiety and depression and uh, even anger and is trying to reassure that other person that it's okay the, the, the danger is not to them, it's to the, the you know, the pr- protagonist or antagonist, however you want to look at it, and that it is okay to get close, despite, despite what uh, might be seen as some dangers. And when you think of that story, yeah, there's a haunting quality to it. There's a quality that it draws you in, but it draws you in in a way that is a little uncomfortable. And the reason why I picked this song is because when it came out and since then, many people have stated that this is a song that is meant to be on film, in a film or a TV show. Uh, when The Sopranos was on, they, a lot of people said, yes, this should be in The Sopranos. And that's, yeah, but that, that kind of idea. And I guarantee you that when you listen to it, you will understand what I'm talking about, that music is meant to evoke a certain mood, a certain feel. So Heavy Flute evokes that feel of that 60s, 70s, kind of, you know, uh, slightly, uh, you know, jaunty and even sexual, you know, uh, you know, elements that had that were in jazz at the time, smoky. And crime jazz evokes crime, you know, evokes that those crime stories without a doubt and to a T, Come a little closer, which I released under my name at the time, Nick, my artist name from the Metro Grand Sessions, evokes that kind of haunting, uncomfortable closeness that uh, you know is brought out not just by the lyrics and the composition itself, but by how it is recorded. Uh, and I think how something is recorded is as important as how it's created how it's you know the the idea of it comes forth and uh that's it do you know any of this music do you know these albums they're pretty rare hard to come by but you might know some of the music go look up the track listings and see if you do and if you do and when you listen to it does it evoke those moods in you or am i way off base here and when you think of crime jazz you 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 know you think of cooking shows i don't know uh are you into jazz at all and if so is any of this the kind of jazz you like Because, man, everybody has opinions on everything when it comes to music, including me. But there's certain kinds of music. People's opinions are so strong that it's hard to find two people who agree. And I think jazz is one of those. Uh, I want to know what you think about all that. As always, because my objectives here are music, conversation, and connection. Thank you for listening and watching and sharing and subscribing and donating. And I'll talk to you next week.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.